Welcome to the Behind the Bliss podcast, where Rachel Autry brings weekly conversations to encourage, inspire, storytell, and share. Each episode is designed for you to feel met in your mess and balanced in your bliss. Here's today's conversation. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Bliss. I am so excited about this week's conversation for a lot of different reasons, but before we start and dive into today, I wanted to first clarify and disclose that today's conversation includes conversation about marital intimacy, premarital sex, and other topics that might not be so friendly for little ears. However, today's episode is full of freedom. It is incredibly full of wisdom from my new friend, Grayson Warren. Grayson has been through her own freedom journey from sexual sin and shame and bondage and a lifestyle that she wants to warn others about. This conversation starts with her own testimony and the practical ways that they found freedom through it all. Grayson is an open book, she tells us that, and she does indeed share a lot of details with us that lead us to a greater conversation about the sovereignty of the Lord, the grace that we're offered, but also the opportunity for surrender. She is the most pure-hearted, so bold and brave to share with us what her life looks like. She says it best, but she said, without Jesus, this story would just be a sad one. But because of Jesus, it's one full of life and redemption. And I cannot wait for us to share it with you today. So without further ado, here is today's episode with Grayson. Hey, Grayson, welcome to Behind the Bliss. This is like, you're on the other side of things now. You know, yes, I know, Rachel, I'm so excited to be here. It has been like a long road coming, but I'm so excited that we finally get to talk and meet because of all of our mutual connections. I was about to say, like, we have to say thanks to Maggie and to Caroline and like all of our mutual friends that are like, and I don't know if you know this one, but Whitney McIntosh was on your podcast. Yes. How I originally heard about it. And so there was just like this huge world of people where I'd be like, oh my gosh, you got to listen to Behind the Bliss. And they're like, well, we actually like know Rachel. <laughs> so um, oh I'm so goodness. excited I get to talk to you. That is crazy fun. Well, that's the, that's what I love about this is like, I interview people I've like absolutely never met before, like have no idea who they are. And then I interview some of my very dearest like family or like BFFs. And then there's like people that I'm like, I feel like we should be BFFs. So let's just chat over a podcast episode and we can just become friends there. And those are sometimes my favorite because they're just so authentic. It's like, I know something about you, but I don't. So we're just going to figure it all out. I love it. I'm excited. Me too. I'm so honored. So I would love for you to maybe share who you are, where you are, all the things about Grayson that someone might not know if they didn't meet you. Yes. Yeah. So my name is Grayson Warren. Um, I am currently living in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, My husband, Will Warren, we've been married about four years. um, And he is what brought us to Memphis. He's in dental school. um, And he is actually in his last semester. So I know it's kind of crazy right now with coronavirus. It's like so up in the air, his graduation and what that will look like. But we have had Um, we've made plans to go back to Arkansas, which is where we're both from and where we met and we went to school at the university of Arkansas. Um, and yeah, I work in retail. I would have never imagined in a million years that I would be working retail. Um, but it's become such a joy of mine. Um, and so, yeah, we don't really know what the future has to hold, but we do know we'll be back in Arkansas, um, within the next few months leaving Memphis, which is a really Um, sad and exciting time. I keep telling everyone I'm so thankful that the Lord allows me to hold excitement and sadness at the same time. Um, And yeah, where I'm, I have a lot of plans today to share just um, a journey that Will and I have been on. um, And it is a true story of sexual redemption. Um, I am an open book. I'm very vulnerable with our story, um, and I'm excited to get to share it with you and um, the people listening today. Yeah, wait, tell us though about this house remodel. 
because I have been following it to AT and I'm so pumped for y'all. Like, so, like, it's so gratifying to watch it through Instagram stories. I'm sure on your side, you're like, there's a lot of hard work that as a watcher or like as a viewer, you don't have to go through. So I'm like vicariously living through all of it. I'm so excited. So Will and I, in the house we live in now, we actually renovated it as well. And we are like not Chip and Joanna. Like we are not that level. We just like are like, wow, we could save a lot of money (laughs) if we Mm -hmm. did this ourselves. And Will is um, an Enneagram one. And so he's a perfectionist. And so I trust his work so much. Like I know that he's not going to mess something up or that he's not going to lay that wood floor perfectly. Like he's just so trustworthy in this process. And then I am the Enneagram seven. So (laughs) even though it's like really hard work, I'm like doing back handsprings and flipping and jumping because I think the whole process is so fun. And it's funny that you say that one of my best friends was like, how's the house going? Like, it looks like you're having a great time. And I was like, well, I'm having a great time. I was like, I've been working right. for like four days, but Will's been working on it for about 14 days and he's a little tired. So, mm-hmm. um, but it's going really well. We just got a picture literally five minutes ago from our contractor and our, we have a new fireplace. Will and I have like a really rustic woodsy, um, style together. Um, because fun facts about me, I grew up in Arkansas and I love to hunt. I love the outdoors. I'm a little redneck. Um, so yeah, we have a real rustic woodsy style and we just got this cool stone fireplace put in and next up is the, um, wood floors. So it's going good. Let's go. That's so fun. It's funny. You're like, you know, it looks like a lot of fun, but what you don't know is X, Y, Z. And when we redid our kitchen really quickly, um, with just like some subway tile and it really spruced the whole thing up. But everyone was like, this is so fun to watch. Like, keep going. I'm like, I truly need your encouragement because the last thing I need right now is to keep going. Like, yes. this is the best marital exercise is to yes. redo something. Yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. It's, a, it's the behind the bliss. Hey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> truly. How did you and Will meet? So we met at the University of Arkansas. It was his um, fifth year and it was my senior year. And it's actually really funny. Um, Two of our really good friends started dating. And so naturally those like friend groups kind of merged. And it was the Texas A&M game in Texas. Um, And my best friend lived in Texas. And she invited kind of Will's friend group and our friend group to come um, and stay with her that weekend. And it's actually really funny. At the time, I had no interest in Will. I was was crushing really hard on another guy. Uh-uh. And so I was not expecting that weekend to be, you know, anything in that regard. And I, one of my friends had actually been on a date with Will and had come back and told us that like he was really weird and the date was really awkward. So that was like kind of my <laughs> understanding of who Will was, like this weird, awkward guy. But when I was around him that weekend, I was like, dang, I think he's hilarious and I don't think he's awkward. And like, I didn't expect to have feelings for this guy, but I'm kind of digging him. And um, so then those friend groups, we came back to the University of Arkansas and kind of kept hanging out with that group and um, our attraction for one another grew. And I um, gave up on my crush of two years and decided, dang, I think I kind of like this little Warren guy. So it's, it was actually really comical the way that it worked out. But um, yeah, that's how we met. I love that. That's precious. It's like you truly just admired his character. And yes. it was like, I just love to be friends with him. And then yes. you knew. It just was really crazy because I had thought that I liked this other guy for two years. And I was working really hard to be the person that I thought he wanted. And I was working really hard, you know, to impress him. And, um, I was struggling like with feeling like I wasn't being noticed, but that weekend, because I didn't have any intentions of meeting someone, I was fully Grayson. I was just with my best girlfriends having fun and being me and he was doing the same. And so that was just such a cool thing for me when I was sorting through my feelings and praying that I felt like God gave me was like, Grayson, he recognized you for you, like for Mm, exactly who you are and you weren't trying to be anybody for him. And so that was just a really cool thing for me, especially when I was trying to like transition, like, well, I thought I liked this guy and, but now there's this other guy. So 
um, that was just like affirmation from the Lord in that, I felt like. Yeah. Well, that's kind of part of Thomas and I's story too, is like he understood understood my, like, I guess this sounds so woo-woo, but like my truest identity, you know, like he like he recognized who Rachel was and even Rachel's potential. He didn't only just see like the Rachel I was operating as. And really that's why I fell in love with him. And I think that's what's so neat about like how we've been created is like, we just want to be known, but not just like known and recognized. Like we want to be known for who we've been created to be, not who we are acting as. And so, so cool that Will could like see through the facade. And he was like, yeah. I really just appreciate and admire you. And then that's where romance follows, right? It's like yes. the pursuit for who you are like as like in your identity in Christ and not just like who you've chosen to be in that moment. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, for sure. I think this is like your story and my story is similar in this area where like there's been a past and then you've met like this Prince Charming in the midst of frogs and you're like, oh my gosh, like they exist. And so – I want you to almost kind of go into what it was like to meet Will after a little bit about what you talked about earlier, after having like a past of sexual sin and dealing with the sexual shame at the same time. And then like you come across this man. Do you feel like you had exited out of that season or were you still in a healing process when you and Will met? Yeah. So that's such a great question. So just for a little bit of background, um, as all testimonies begin, I grew up in a Christian household um, <laughs> and I did have really amazing parents. But like I said, I am an Enneagram seven and it's so fun for me to like know that and now look back on my behavior like in high school. And um, I um, just had a bent towards rebellion. I was all about doing what was fun and what was exciting and um, just had a lust for life and a craving for fun things. And so in high school, you know, that was drinking and partying and dating. And um, I was in a relationship for five years. It was really impure. Um, And that was just kind of my baseline and understanding of how relationships were to be. Um, And this, this guy was significantly older than I was. And so I felt a lot of the pressure in that regard um, in our relationship. And after we broke up, I just kind of spiraled um, in that behavior. And it's part of my testimony that I didn't tell for a very long time because there's so much shame in sexual sin. It was easy for me to admit that I had been drinking behind my parents' back and getting drunk, but it wasn't easy for me to admit that I had been promiscuous. Um, And so that is like kind of my past in, in one-on-one relationships. I go into a lot more detail in what that looked like. And, you know, kind of just based on the need of who I'm speaking to. <clears throat> Sorry, I got a frog in my throat. I think you said something about dating frogs. and But yeah, so I am super vulnerable with that. But that is kind of like the past I, I came from. And um, to transition into meeting Will, it was so amazing because he already knew so much about my past. A lot of my behavior and sexual sin actually played out within the fraternity that he was a part of. So Mm. he wasn't ignorant to the way that I had lived my life. And um, this is actually a real, real cool part of mine and Will's story is that um, after I had accepted Christ, it was October 28th of 2012. It was one of those moments for me. Um, after I'd been following the Lord for a while, I was asked to share my testimony on stage at Cross Church, which was the church that both Will and I went to. And I didn't know him at this point, but I was on stage and I was sharing my testimony. And he said that night he got in the car with his friends and he asked his friends, he was like, do you guys think that you could date a girl like her, like with her story? So for Will, he had made the decision to save himself for marriage and he was a virgin. And that was always his assumption of what his wife would look like as well. And so that night when I was on stage sharing my testimony, it was kind of the first time that the Lord started tugging on Will's heartstrings and opening his mind to realizing that his wife actually might have a different story from him and she might not be a virgin, but she might love the Lord. Um, And so he kind of talked about that in the car with his friends that night. And we just think it's so funny because looking back, it's like, 
gosh, the Lord wasn't saying like, can you date a girl like that? He was like, Mm -hmm. what about dating that girl right there? (laughs) That one. Yes. (laughs) And so that was just really cool for me. And, um, Rachel, that's actually one of my favorite parts of my testimony and it ever evolving is I will never forget the day that I had to sit in front of Will and tell him, um, there is nothing that I have done physically that I can offer you that I haven't already offered to somebody else. And I was sobbing and so upset and I wanted so badly to be able to give that to him. And he just looked at me and he looked me in the eyes and he said, Grayson, like, I love you and I choose you. And if the Lord has grace for you, I have grace for you. And that to me, apart from my salvation, was the most tangible form of the gospel and of grace that I have ever received to this day. Mm-hmm. Um, that he was able to accept me and all of that and choose me and want to continue on in our relationship um, towards marriage, um, despite you know everything I had done against him not knowing that he would be my husband. Yeah. Oh, this is so good to hear. And my mind's going in so many different directions that I can imagine listeners are like either going in. I feel like one direction, they're thinking, they're almost leaning on like the condemnation side of like, oh, that's so my story too. That is so good for me to hear that like someone could still accept me because maybe they're stuck in a whole bunch of shame and bondage. And like really like, oh, I just, I want to give up. Like, if I've already done it, then who's to say anyone would want me? So I might as well continue in this pattern. And like, it's a whole like self-worth, shame, guilt cycle. And then I feel like there's another girl who's listening that is encouraged, but maybe is taking the route of like, uh, taking advantage of the extended grace where it's like, well, again, like with the, I've already done it. And look, like someone's going to end up loving me anyway. So I'm just going to continue in this relationship or continue in these actions and behavior. And so I kind of want to talk to both. First, the girl who might be dealing with shame and is just like so distraught. And um, yeah, like a heavy weight of condemnation on her chest and just feels blamed. What would you say to the girl that just feels stuck there and like can't even imagine a pure life to come? Yes. Yeah. I would say just with complete empathy that I know exactly where you are. I used to say all the time after I'd accepted Christ that I wish that my husband would have messed up too, because then it would just cancel each other out and we'd both have a past and we could move forward. But the most amazing thing to me was that God loved me more than that. And, you know, not to say that he loved me more, like anyone who could have a spouse who has a past also, God loves you equally in that. But for my story specifically, in the way that God communicated love to me was in that. And he was like, Grayson, I have a redemption story for you. And I have a husband who has saved himself for you and who loves you. And it kind of reminds me like just the struggling with shame of, the story in John 8 of the adulterous woman Mm. and um, you know, the religious leaders bring her before Jesus who's, who's speaking in front of a crowd and they stand her in front of the crowd and you know, they're pointing the finger at her and I know that she is feeling just massive amounts of shame in that moment um, when she's found out, you know, that she's lived this lifestyle and you know, as the story goes, Jesus asks them, you know, which one of you has no sin? Be the first person to throw the stone. And one by one, each accuser walks away until she is only there with Jesus. And Jesus stoops down to her level and he looks her in her face and he says, do you have any accusers? And she says, no, Lord. And he says, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. And it's just this beautiful picture of Jesus stooping down. But what I want to point out is that if Jesus wasn't a part of that picture, she would be dead. Like she would have been stoned. And what's even more upsetting is that she would have a spiritual death as well, not just a physical death, but because Jesus is a part of her story and because he is in that picture, he gives her life. He stands up for her. He defends her. And that's exactly what he desires to do for anyone feeling shame. And 
I just love his command to go and sin no more. The reason he commands us not to sin is that we cannot walk in freedom when we're continuing to tangle ourselves in sin. So there is a reason that you feel that shame. I kind of love the topic of shame because for so long I was convinced that it was such a bad thing. But Mm -hmm. if we lived shameless lives, then we would constantly be hurting ourselves because we'd be living outside of the bounds in which God created. So when we feel shame, it's actually a good thing that can be a vehicle to worship. Um, I have learned that when I feel shame for something that I did or feel bad or guilt about something that I did, it leads me to this place now of like, oh my gosh, and like, God, you could forgive even that. Like, God, you look at that and you love me. Like, why would you continue to choose me? And so that shame should not like put you in this self-pity mindset. It should put you in the state of like, gosh, Lord, like your forgiveness is so good. And use that shame as a vehicle to worship instead of, you know, an emotion that beats you down and like tears you down. So for the girl struggling with shame, like Jesus is standing, telling your accusers to walk out of the room and he is meeting you face to face. Like he is right there with you in your story, loving you. And he's not like separate from you. So amazing. I mean, I'm sitting here and like vehicle to worship, like shame can be the vehicle to worship. That is just, I've never heard it put that way. And I love it. I, I'm almost imagining, cause I'm such an analogy driven girl. Like I'm imagining like a, t- a kid cooking pancakes with mom or dad and standing at the stove and mom being like, do not put your hand on the stove. That's very hot. Like it, you will get hurt. And the kid like puts his hand on the stove or whatever. And pain is the trigger reaction to tell what's happening from the hand to the brain, like take your hand off, you're getting hurt. And so I can imagine like if we took that to a heart like analogy, shame is like the pain that's telling you like, this is not good. This is causing something like this is causing issues and consequences. Like we need to get our hand off the stove. Even when we have someone in our ear saying like, that's a boundary we've set. Like, are you sure you want to cross that? And um, yeah, I I love that shame is the vehicle to worship. That's so good. It's so good. For sure. Well, I also feel like too, here's the tension is like, then we also live in a world where we have people encouraging us. Jesus still loves me. Like I can still Mm -hmm. do this. Like Mm -hmm. there's grace so we can take, like you got a silver platter of grace right on the table. Like you can take it anytime you need it. And I'm like, Ooh, I don't know if I like that. I'm like, my Jesus went to the cross to a brutal death, literally was crucified which they don't even do anymore because it was that brutal. Have you seen Passion of the Christ? Like, why would I cheapen grace when he went through literally hell and back to give me it? Like, why would I just, I mean, it is at our disposal. Absolutely. But I I would want to talk to the girl maybe like has heard that message and agrees and is maybe stuck in a behavior because of the agreement with that message. Yeah, this is actually my favorite part of my testimony. It's so funny how the Lord continues to grow your testimony. And, you know, mine used to kind of just like stop there, like, you know, I accepted Christ and, you know, started to pursue a more healthy, um, healthy dating decisions and quit drinking and all that. But now within my marriage, that is my favorite part of my testimony, where um, I would say to that girl, you have no idea the things that you're doing, the way that they will affect right now your intimacy with the Lord, but even further potential intimacy with your husband. And so after Will and I um, got married, um, this was like our naive perspective. So we we were like, (laughs) okay, she's experienced. And so like she has all this knowledge and like, Will's like, and I'm a virgin. So this is like the perfect combination. Like we're just going to have this like perfect put together little situation. And I just was so (laughs) naive to think that I actually, I think I heard, um, Mo Isom say one time that, Um, I thought my sexual testimony would just end there at the altar, but the enemy will use everything in your past that has not been worked through, handed over, surrendered, or surrendered, like he'll use every bit of it to trip you up and try to divide you in your marriage. And so after Will and I um, were married uh, and our, like Rachel, this is a side note, sorry, I'm like super ADD, but 
We welcome side notes here. Yes, our honeymoon is like the most comical story. I wish I had an additional 40 minutes to just like share with you (laughs) the hilariousness of our honeymoon and how wrong we were about the two of us being the perfect um, lovers. And so we just had like one terrible thing after another happen on our honeymoon. We ended up coming home a day early. It was just like no nothing way. was working. Yes, it's terrible. Will got like super sick. Um, it just was, it was really bad. So we started off on a bad foot in regard to our intimate lives. We were determined to make it better. Um, and you know, we were just really struggling in our physical relationship and it was really hard for us, especially everything we had been told, you know, before marriage was that honeymooners and this is great. And, you know, intimacy is amazing. And I just was really struggling with that, but I didn't realize that I was until Will had the courage to come to me and confront me. And so one day, you know, he kind of sat me down on the bed and he said, Grayson, like, I just have to be really honest with you about where I am. And he's like, I'm really struggling in our um, sex, well, in our sex life. Like, you know, I feel like you're not mentally present with me. And I feel like you're not connecting with me in this time. And I was just like, wow, like, you know what? I think he's right. But that right. was the first time that I had ever kind of slowed down to, you know, kind of get introspective and realized that I was struggling here and I did not want to be mentally present, let alone physically present. And that I was having a really connecting with Will in this area of our lives. And so I had no, you know, I thought I had walked through healing. I thought I had done everything I needed to to prepare myself for marriage, but I could not have known that that was going to affect whenever sex was reintroduced to me with my spouse um and I would just look at that girl in her eyes and tell her like man you have no idea what and you have no how it's a you and your marriage and it led Will and on a three-year journey that we have been on and working on that area of our life right yeah and I'm even thinking through like I've heard this before and it was so great and it stuck with me when I'm talking to my friends that might be inside like sexual sin at the moment. It's like there are two pieces of paper that get glued together the moment that two people become intimate, like physically intimate. And when that happens and you two leave each other and you're, and you're not in the covenant of marriage, it obviously gets ripped apart. And like the only way to rip two pieces of paper apart that are glued together is like they're going to come apart, but they're going to be obviously really difficult to tear apart because they're glued and they're going to have like parts of each other still stuck to each other and all the things. And, and then obviously like we can make that trade for a new white clean piece of paper. Absolutely. But like so many girls don't think that what they're doing would affect their future and the trade that would need to happen and all of that. And so, yeah, I would a hundred percent agree. Like everything. So true. So true. I wish that people had told myself that too, because I think this goes outside of sex too, right? Like there's more boundaries than just sexual or physical boundaries. There's emotional and spiritual intimacy that all plays a role together. So I'm glad you said like, that's what you would tell the girl, because I can imagine that's probably what you would want to, what you would have wanted to tell yourself five years ago (laughs) is like, (laughs) wake up, like, let's do this thing. Yeah. Yeah. What else would you have told her? Um, so I just think that um, when I look at Will's story and how amazing it is, and I'll, I'll go into a little bit more detail on that. Um, so after Will kind of confronted me, that's when I began, began the process of just kind of searching myself for understanding of like, gosh, why am I not enjoying this? And how, why don't I want to be present mentally you know why don't I want to engage with my husband in this way and really started searching my mind for that for the first time and as a seven pain is you're like that's not fun deal with yeah and so I would say out loud I would tell Will all the time like I should probably go to counseling like that would probably be beneficial for me and we kind of like both were in agreement of that but not in a state to like pursue that 
And so there was about a year and a half time period where I was trying to make it better. And I was trying to fix it. I continued to be so dissatisfied in that area in our marriage. And I knew that God created this love my husband to the depth at which I wanted to, that I felt like I couldn't. I felt like I couldn't connect there. And I was not enjoying that part of our marriage. And so it was one Christmas, um, we were driving home and we always get real retrospective and plan for the new year. And one of the things Will said was, hey, I think it's time we start considering counseling for you. And I knew that that was true. I knew that we needed to. And I was so afraid. I was like, I don't even know where to start. Like we're in Memphis and I don't know anybody here. And what if I end up at the wrong counseling center and like learn all this weird stuff that's not true? Like I was just really <laughs> intimidated <laughs> by the process. And so I just decided like, okay, you know what? I'm going to take this to my small group. I'm going to tell them everything Will and I have been struggling with and my real feelings towards this part of our relationship. And I'm going to ask for prayer. And I'm just going to ask, you know, that they would pray for this, this with me. And um, the next week I was, we had like a little reunion with my best college girlfriends. And I decided to share with them everything I've been going through. And one of them actually lived in Memphis. And um, Hallie told me, she was like, Grayson, I've been going to counseling in Memphis. And I have this amazing counselor, an amazing counseling center. And like, you should totally, I'll send you their information. And so I got back from the weekend that Monday and I was like, well, crap. I was like, I told my one group of friends to pray. They prayed. And now here's my college friends, like with the answer to that prayer. And so I decided to call um, and it was Sage Hill Counseling Center here in Memphis. And I scheduled my first appointment. And in true Enneagram fashion, I am so optimistic and so excited to go to this counseling appointment <laughs> and put this behind me and experience healing. Right. And I go and the first counseling session was just pretty, not comical because I was so sad. But um, I left that counseling session just wrecked. I was so sad. I don't deal with sadness well. It's I'm even learning now just in the transition to move that sadness is really hard for me. But what I learned in that session was that everything that was so painful, the sadness that I felt of losing my virginity at such a young age, I had never allowed myself to grieve it. And one of the things my counselor told me was, she was like, Grayson, I think that you have a tendency to over-spiritualize things. Mm-hmm. I was like, over-spiritualize things? I was like, there ain't no such thing. thing. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. I'm like, you're telling me I depend on Jesus too much? Like, are you kidding me? I was like, well, did you hear this crazy lady? And then as I sat with that statement, like, yeah. she's right. I'm using faith to not have to deal with the pain of everything that I've been through. Using my salvation and my redemption as a reason to not have to sit in the sadness of the truth, what I allowed to happen to myself and what I engaged in. And so that was just a monumental moment for me, realizing that I needed to heal. And I had for years not allowed myself to heal. And that was kind of the first step. Um, and she, she told me after my first session, so she was like, and this is one of my favorite parts of the story. Sorry, I feel like this is going on forever. But um, she was like, hey, I just want you to know, like, I think you're going to need to see a specialist in this area. And I know this really amazing <laughs> woman. Her name's Catherine Blackney, and she's a sex therapist. And she would be great, but I don't think she's seeing new clients right now. And I think she's pretty pricey. So I was like, all right, well, <laughs> that sounds really encouraging. Definitely going to pursue that one. Like, not. Um, but I, I decided to pretend like I was going to pursue it. So I took it to my small group again. I was like, there's this woman, Catherine Blackney, that I'm supposed to meet. And I'm probably going to send her an email. But you know, I don't know, just pray that I get in and just kind of was so half-hearted about it. I had zero intentions of sending that email and I didn't send that email. And then again, about a week after I had asked my small group to pray for the situation, I'm standing in Pickering Boxwood, which is the store that I work at. And I overhear two of my coworkers and they're kind of talking about their daughters and I hear the word counseling and I, I hear the word Catherine and so I just, uh-uh. uh-huh, I just had to insert myself in their conversation. And I was like, 
uh, are y'all by chance like talking about Catherine Blackney right, right now? And um, my coworker looks at me and she goes, yeah, this is her right here. Did you need to meet her? And I was no like, way. Uh, actually, yeah. Like, I'm supposed to be sending you an email. My other coworker standing beside me is like, Grayson, this is my sister. Did you not know that? <laughs> no way. Isn't that, I'm like, no, if I would have known that your sister was the sex therapist, I would have just like told you to put me in contact with her. But now the whole store knows that like I need to be a sex therapist. <laughs> I love it. It oh. was 100% like God in pursuit of me and my healing. And he had plans to redeem something that the enemy had taken. And he wanted to restore yes. it fullness Amen. and its glory and he like I just have to like no one could ordain that other than God like I have to give God glory in that regard like he brought that into my life it was the next step and he dangled it right in front of me and said Grace are you going to exercise your faith and are you going to take it and I knew that I had to and so yeah. I was just like well actually Catherine yeah I'll leave you in <laughs> let's talk about sex <laughs> Yes. This reminds me of Genesis fifty twenty when it says like, you know, you intend to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what's now being done, the saving of many lives. And it's what is unfolding in your life. You're like, Satan totally meant to harm me and use it for destruction. And it destructed me for sure. But that destruction brought me to the need and the feet of Jesus, which would have been a completely different journey had it looked any different. And so it's just so neat how God is in every single detail love is that he works in everything and not just isolated incidents like for our good like he works in every single part of our story and there's just so many details you know of how we met Catherine and then we meet with Catherine and we decide like this is something that we want to pursue but we're worried financially and this is also one of my favorite parts of the story because um during that time we had created a window display for the store and it was this really decadent, beautiful balloon arch. And we started getting requests from everyone all over Memphis to do these balloon arches. And so my friend that I worked with, also one of my best friends who knew everything that was going on in our marriage was like, let's do this. And so we were like making all these balloon arches that were being able to pay for Will and I to go to counseling and to be able to afford counseling in that season of our life. And you know, it just was so God ordained and just like what he wanted for us. And it just was so cool. We went, this is like, this is also, this is what I would say to that girl. Will and I had to go through a 15 week sex fast. And let me just tell you, when you have to tell your virgin <laughs> husband that he's now married and he has to fast for 15 weeks from sex like you don't want to have to do that right like that in itself is a reason not to do this exactly so but we sat down with Catherine and um she kind of told us like hey here's the program that I recommend for you guys I want you guys to pray about it and you know if this isn't something you're interested in we'll take another route but this is what I really think you know Grayson can heal from and it mm -hmm. was um, this 15-week um, program called Restoring the Pleasure. And um, it was so funny when she asked me, she was like, Grayson, what do you think about that? I was like, uh, I'm kind of like sweating. I'm like, even though I'm not enjoying sex, like doesn't the Bible say only to like separate for like a little bit and then come back together quickly? Like, right. I don't know, 15 weeks doesn't sound very quick. And then she like looks at Will and she's like, Will, what do you think? And... I'll spare you what Will actually said, but he, <laughs> he says 15 weeks and kind of looks at Catherine and goes, shoot. We all got so tickled because it just like seemed so daunting. Um, but the purpose of the plan was to take everything, every intimate act, starting with holding hands and working and graduating all the way up and reassociating all of that within the context of your marriage and with your spouse. And it was wow. supposed to retrain your brain to associate those acts in a safe place. And um, Will and I get really flustered when we try to like tell people everything that we learned within those 15 weeks because it was so amazing for us and there was so much. But um, yeah, that was, that was part of our healing process. And, you know, we have continued to heal like from that, but it was just so cool to see 
you know, God's work in that. And something that was so crucial for us too, that I recommend to everybody, like sexual sin often tries to silence us and keep us quiet and keep us alone. But it was not until like Will and I invited people in that we began to see the mighty hand of God move. When we knew that we were about to go on this fast, we knew that we needed community and we needed prayer and we needed people walking alongside us during this time, like people that cared about Will, people that cared about me and people that cared about our marriage, like praying for us and supporting us. And so we invited some of our close friends over, told them everything that was going on. They all prayed over us and it was so amazing to hear the words that they said and spoke over us and just to have them holding our hands appointment by appointment, texting us how we were doing. Um, And it was so sweet. At the end of our 15 weeks, our friends um, did a honeymoon redo for us and they bought us a hotel room downtown. There was like flowers and champagne and just all of this for our graduating weekend from the fast. And it was just amazing to see the grace of God and have community just like come beside us in that. And I think that's the last thing that the enemy wants. Like when it comes to sexual sin, he wants you to be quiet. He wants you to feel alone. He wants you to feel like you're the only one struggling with it. And even if it's not the exact same story of your best couple friend, like they're willing to come alongside you in it. And it's really my friends. They're the only reason I'm here recording this podcast episode today because they assured me that they have been encouraged and just exhorted by the way that God has moved in mine and world's life and in our marriage by the healing that he's provided for us. Um, and it's only because of him that I can even speak of it. Um, so yeah, just invite community in, like, don't be silent. Don't be quiet about it. That is the truth. That is the truth. Yeah. I think like he totally will take, I mean, he as in the enemy will totally take whatever is kept in secret and just completely pervert it because you're doing it completely alone. And he'll convince you in those secret places it's meant for secret. And then mm-hmm. I I have heard this and I love it, but what's hidden cannot be healed. Like what you're hiding, it's going to be so hard to find healing from because there's the need for community, whether it's the big C church, whether it's like your closest friends or family, whether it's outside counseling, whatever it looks like, like there's so many practical steps to take do find that healing, but healing can be found. And I hope people listening can hear your story and just like, and almost claim it as a testimony for themselves. Be like, you know what? Like that can happen for me too, because we serve the same God and he has that beautiful plan for all of us. I love it. This has been a continued healing journey. Like we didn't just do this fast and our sex life was amazing. Like it has been such a process that both of us have been extremely committed to. And even now, like even in this week, we're seeing fruit. Um, But we decided it was something that was really important to us because it's the way that God chose to, um, you know, represent his relationship with us is between a husband and wife and the way that he loves us and the way that sex, you know, reveals that it's intimately, it's wildly, it's passionately. And, and that is how God loves us. And so we have been putting in so much time and effort to make it a priority in our marriage and work on it. And, um, you know, even now we're seeing fruit. So it's not, it's not just like this. We did this thing, this holy fast thing, and we're better. Um, but it's mutual continuing to show up for one another in that area and talk about it and talk about when I'm hurting or when I'm struggling or talk about the needs that Will has and, you know, needing to be met in that. And so it's a continual healing process. It's, it's not just like, all right, I did that. Right. Check that off. Right. Yeah. It's the carrier cross daily. And we all have that to do, whether it's in our intimate life with our spouse. So if it's with her friendships, like there's, there's a place to carry and pick up our cross daily in so many areas of our life. And so the destination is not here, my friend, until we reach heaven. So I'm like, we, yeah, mm -mm, we can't check it off the list quite yet. No, not (laughs) quite yet. Oh, I have loved all of it. I've loved all of this. This is so good and beautiful. But I think to have someone who has like been there, it's like a completely different message. And so yeah, just for you to be able to warn our sisters. Yes. And that's like my heart. Like my passion 
what moves me so deeply is that I really have two audiences. I just kind of have the college girl and, and, and need I say high school girl, because that's when it started for me too. I know that, you know, sexual sin has no age limit, but um, I just really think of the college girl because that's where it, you know, it came to fruition for me. But I have such a heart and an empathy for her and just want her to know that like, gosh, if you continue to pursue this, if you continue to pursue, not even just like sex outside of marriage or, you know, any sort of sin, um, the Lord really laid on me, just Hosea too. Like for this reason, I will fence her in with thorn bushes. I will block her path with a wall to make her lose her way. When she runs after her love, she won't be able to catch them. She will search for them, but she will not find them. And this is the grace of God that you don't find satisfaction in whatever it is that you're pursuing that isn't him. And like, that is just so my heart that it would continue to fail you. You'd continue to get tripped up and you wouldn't be able to find it until you turn to the Lord. And you know, that's where you find that. And then my second kind of passion and heart is for the newly married woman who is struggling in her sex life and she is struggling to find freedom from her past. And she is struggling with enjoying this and struggling with desire for her husband. Like I have such a heart for you and just know that, um, you know, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and we can have freedom in that part of our lives. And I just desire so deeply for them to walk freely in the physical aspect of their marriage because it is something that the Lord has made so beautiful in my marriage that I thought was impossible. I thought I was going to have to suffer through this part of my marriage until the day that I died. And he has made it so amazing. And I just have such a heart for those two categories specifically and just empathize with you in all of it. And I know that it's hard and I hope that my story is relatable and approachable and that you can know I am just some normal girl just trying to figure it out and the Lord has been so faithful to come alongside me in it and oh I just I all the glory to God I just can't even imagine you know like I was saying in John 8 like if Jesus wasn't there that she would die and it'd just be a really sad story. And that's how I feel about my life. Like if Jesus wasn't a part of it, it'd just be a really sad story about a girl who was trying to find love and could never find it. And, you know, the day that I met my savior was the day that I found it. And, and with Jesus, like this has become a beautiful story, but without him, it wouldn't be true. And yeah. So I get a little preachy. I had to ask my girl better preach. Let's go. I was like, I just want y'all to pray that I would remember to be fun because sometimes I get real motivational and I like get so serious and I'm actually really fun. <laughs> I want to make sure that I'm portrayed. No, yeah, your seven is still showing. You're still okay, fun. good. <laughs> you just care and that's important. Absolutely. Well, I oh yes, this is just also good and it's so true. And I'm just so thankful to have someone like you that has the boldness and transparency to just talk about the transformation process. And that that's a gift to be able to do that well. So I want you to know that like this is a treasure for us to be able to listen to you and just to learn from all the wisdom and the trials that you went through is, is really just humbling on your part, like to submit yourself to God's plan. And whether it's, you know, not embarrassing. That's not the word. Like whether it's transparent and really vulnerable or not, like we are learning from it. And that is a gift to be able to do that from you. So thank you. Rachel. Thank you. I love asking this to wrap it up because I'm sure like for you being an Enneagram seven, there's a lot of things in life you probably love. So this might be a hard question for you. What is though something that you're loving that you have to share with people Yes. What can you hook a sister up with? I love so many things. You're so right. It's so hard for me to answer this question. Just like my friends will tell you, I'm always on to the next thing. But right now, something I am loving is sweet fries. I have just been making these all week. Like I have the frozen ones. I think it's like the Alexia brand. Yes, this is my fave. But I've also been making my own. I've just been like cutting up sweet potatoes. And it's like, I don't know what it is about the chopping process. It's been bringing me so much joy. But sweet potato fries is one thing that I love. Um, Also, in loving, I think I'd heard you talk about this in another podcast, but I have been reading um, Jenny Allen, Get Out of Your Head. 
Yes. And I am loving it. I relate so with Jenny good. Allen so much. She's the Enneagram 7-2. Shout out. Her words just speak to me. And I'm almost done. I made the goal of like trying to finish it by April because sevens are also notorious for starting things and not finishing <laughs> them. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. So that and gosh, I have such a long list of things I love, but I can cap it off at that if I, I need to. I probably should. <laughs> Uh uh-uh. uh. I mean, we can list anything that you would want to, but those are so good. I can attest for the book. Absolutely. Get Out of Your Head is an amazing book for people that literally are stuck in their head, like play those mind games with themselves and so much. Strength. In my own story, like that was crucial is to like understand what was going on in my head, the lies that I was believing and speaking truth over that. And I feel the need to say this real quickly, but like that was something I had to do in my marriage was just speak truth. Like Whenever I was struggling to connect with Will, I would have to say to myself, like, this is Will Warren. You are Grayson Warren. You are married. The marriage bed is undefiled. Like, you are safe. He loves you. He chose you for more than your body. Like, I had to, like, state truth to myself. Mm -hmm. And it just those thought patterns that Jenny talks about and the ways that we have to choose to, like, state truth, mainly scriptural truth. And I would do that as well. And then it just rewires the way that we're allowed to think and let go and feel peace and experience Christ in that. And so I'm just like, yes, Jenny, let the people know. (laughs) Again, for the people in the back. Like, absolutely. (laughs) I'm like, copy, paste, put in your note in your head. Great. Oh, her book is so good. So yes, people run, run, run. Like, go get it now. It would be the best summer read. Promise. Promise. Grayson. Thank you. Like, I wish that we were here in person. I do too. That was my plan for forever. I was like, I got to go to Birmingham. I'd like to do this in person also because I'm not good with technical stuff. So I was really worried about the technical situation, but we got it figured out. Thank you, Uh, Well, we'll do it again, though, when you are in Birmingham. We can do like a... I am coming for sure. And I'm meeting you in person. And this is going to be a beautiful friendship. She inspires the actual heck out of me, lives a life full of purity and freedom and joy, and it's contagious for us all. And I hope this episode shared exactly that. If you find yourself in a situation like Grayson was in before, then I pray that your heart is open to receive the message that we have for you today. That with Jesus, this can be a life of fullness. I pray that the shame that you're feeling would be, like Grayson said, a vehicle to worship. That new boundaries would be set in your life. I pray the enemy has no hold on your heart or the sexual sin that you might be living in today. That these behaviors would be dismissed in the name of Jesus. And that any kind of addiction or bondage that you feel in your life would be broken because of the blood of Jesus. If you know someone who could be blessed by this episode, we would be so honored if you would send this to them. Our heart is just to meet people wherever they are, that they would see a message from the mess, that they would see transformation from all of the transparency that's shared over here on Behind the Bliss. And because this episode is one so specific to somebody, I want to make sure that it reaches their ears and that this story can be spoken to their heart. So if you know someone, someone came to your mind and you just want to love on them and share this episode with them, we would be, like I said, so honored. For all the things that we mentioned in today's episode, you know that you can find them on our show notes at BehindTheBlissPodcast.com. We love putting these together for you because we know that if you find a book or maybe a scripture or a song that we reference, you don't want to have to go back for the whole episode to re-listen just to find it. So we try to make life easier for you by adding all the links to our show notes. And if you are loving Behind the Bliss and want to love on us in return, we would be so grateful if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's one of the many platforms that we're on, but by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, you actually help with our impact and our reach, which like I said earlier, is our greatest desire that we would meet people wherever they are. I pray you have the best week ahead and we'll see you next time.